Good morning and welcome. What we do here has often been described as preaching and teaching from the texts of Scripture. And, of course, that is the plan for today. I'll recommend that you have your New Testament open to the epistle of Paul to the Colossians. The epistle of Paul to the Colossians. There are four places in the Colossian epistle I want us to visit with one objective. Please be ready with me in Colossians. I believe we all know that our relationship with God through Jesus Christ involves this critical element of knowing who we are. Our identity, as written in the New Testament, in order for there to be sufficient motivation, gratitude, awareness, defense against sin, discipleship, worship, Everything about our relationship with God through Christ involves this critical element, knowing who we are. At the most fundamental level, I was lost in sin, headed down the wrong path, on the move away from God. I heard the gospel, obeyed Christ, was forgiven, found, adopted into the family of God. Now, to continue in that relationship with God through Christ and arrive at the great eternal destination, I have to be clear about who I am. And in the New Testament, the identity of Christians is written clearly in statements, images, parables, discourses. In my relationship with God, in your relationship with God, there is this critical element of knowing who we are. Now to the book of Colossians. One way to approach this epistle is Christ and his followers are described. We may not find this thematic statement in the critical commentaries. This is an everyman's statement of what the reader discovers in the Colossian letter. Christ and his followers are described. Christ is described in chapter 1. Listen to some of this. I'm beginning the reading in Colossians 1 at verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Jesus Christ is described here. The image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. These are descriptions declarations of who Jesus Christ is. Then, 
Verse 21 says, And you, and you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil works. So, who Christ is, is followed by who we are. We were once lost, alienated, but we're now reconciled. And throughout the rest of the Colossian letter, there are descriptions of who we are if we are followers of Christ. Our identity is clearly given, written by the Holy Spirit, for our knowledge, our encouragement, our motivation to serve. I want us to study together today four of these descriptions of who we are. The objective is to refresh our knowledge encourage us, and reach us at the place of motivation to be who we ought to be. Four descriptions of who we are from the Colossian letter. We move now to chapter 2. In Colossians chapter 2, Christians are described as discerners. Listen to this. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Please add to that the statement down in verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. And then would you add to that, please, over in verse 18. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. Christianity was not the only religion being spread in Paul's time and in the area of Colossae. The gospel of Christ, the message of Christianity, was being proclaimed. There were people in Colossae who had obeyed the gospel. They were now Christians and together workers for the Lord, but there were other religions pagan religions, worldviews, and philosophies circulating throughout that culture. And there were some who heard about Christ and just wanted to incorporate Christ into their already formed religion or philosophy. Jesus Christ, the person, the message, the way of life for many people in that time was not considered exclusive or singular. It was just something else, something else to be added to one's already formed religion or philosophy. 
The apostles of Christ, however, made it clear you can't do that and be sincerely devoted to Christ. Christ and his message is not just something else to add to what you already have. And that's a strong emphasis in this epistle. Christ and his message of salvation is not just something else to add to what you already have. What did we hear back in Colossians 1.18? In everything he might have preeminence. What did we hear in chapter 2 just a moment ago? In Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Christ is the head of all rule and authority. Christ and his message of salvation is not just something else to be added to what you already have. Therefore, Christians are called to be discerners. Paul says, let no one delude you with plausible arguments. Don't let anyone tell you that Christ and what he offers is just one more religious idea to add to your theological library or that supplements something you've already accepted about relationship with God and spirituality. This calls for discernment. I cannot let anything be a part of my belief and my relationship with God that isn't set forth in the New Testament. Verse 18, Let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. We are to be discerners, not naive, not accepting any idea that Christ just supplements some worldview or religion we already have, that we just add him in. No. Colossians 3.11 says, Christ is all and in all. My conviction your conviction should be, Christ alone is sufficient to save me, take me out of sin to God, and keep me there as I place my life and keep my life under his authority. We are perfectly content with him, and we use the teaching of his apostles to discern, to discriminate, to test, the arguments and offerings of men. 1 Thessalonians 5.21 says, Test everything and hold fast what is good. Second, our identity is captured in Colossians chapter 3, where it can be said we are executioners. Now stay with me. We are executioners. Stay with me. Here's what I mean. Listen and look on the page in front of you with your Bible. Colossians 3, verse 5, where it says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Now, did you hear that phrase? put to death. The older translations, like the King James, use the word mortify. Mortify is a word we use to express 
an extreme reaction. Maybe you've heard people say, when shocked or repulsed about something, I was mortified. It speaks to an extreme reaction. Later translations change that to kill or put to death. Here's the point. When it comes to these sins, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry, we should want to kill those sins. We should be mortified and react with extreme disapproval. Christians are identified here as people repulsed by sin. More than just disapproval in some sort of academic, intellectual, verbal way, when these sins approach me, I need to kill them. Over in Romans 6, be dead to sin. It is one thing to know what sin is. It is one thing to speak against it. It is one thing to quote the passages. This teaches we are people who are executioners when it comes to sin. Still in Colossians chapter 3, we are containers. I know that that sounds odd at first, maybe just as odd as executioners. Stay with me. Join with me in verse 16 of Colossians 3. Colossians 3, 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Does the word of Christ dwell in you? Are you a container? The contents is the word of Christ. Now, this kind of imagery is common in the Bible. I mean, God expects his people to be containers. Over in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 7, Paul is writing about himself and others who preach the gospel, and he said, We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not of us. We are containers, vessels, and in Colossians 3.16, the contents is the word of Christ. This is how the Bible describes Christians, people who have in them the word of Christ. With that word, we measure everything and test everything. With that word, we defend ourselves against the assaults against our faith. With that word, we resist temptation. With that word, we navigate through the storms of life. With that word, we govern our relationships with people. With that word, we learn what worship means. We edify one another. We influence people, instruct people, and feed our souls. We are containers of the word of Christ. Fourth, we are petitioners. Colossians 4 and verse 2, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. One of the greatest blessings we enjoy as Christians can be captured by a single three-letter word, ask. Jesus said, ask and you will receive. 
James said, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask. David in Psalms was constantly asking God. We are able to ask God through Jesus Christ. God has blessed us with this power to be petitioners. Turn to Hebrews chapter 4. If you need to stop the recording, you can pause and come back with Hebrews chapter 4. And I'm going to read verses 14 through 16. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. One purpose of this passage is to instill confidence, especially verse 16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Do you ever find yourself in some quandary? Some challenge is in your face and in your mind, some crisis or question, and you're just down and out and haunted by some fear, burned out and frustrated. You need confidence. God is saying, come to my throne. Come through Christ to my throne. I mentioned earlier that in the culture or community of Colossae, there were all these varieties of philosophy and diverse religious ideas, idolatry and man-made religion, and that there were people there who wanted to just take Christ and add him to whatever they were doing, whatever they'd already formed. And Paul said, Christ is all you need. He is sufficient. Your only access to God, those other religions, had nothing like that to offer. They had ritual, mystery, and claims. They did not have what Christ alone offers, access to God. So that followers of Christ have this confidence. In the time of Paul, the idea of approaching a king on his throne with boldness would have seemed unusual. But as David McClister points out in his commentary on Hebrews, while we must maintain a healthy fear of our Lord, the reigning Jesus is not a king who feels annoyed by the personal petitions of his people. So, do we know who we are? We know who Christ is, but do we know who we are? Colossians tells us who Christ is and who his people are. We are discerners. We are executioners. We are containers. We are petitioners. If you are not a follower of Christ, what do you think you need to do about all of this? Thank you for listening.